polarised. I was paralysed. Plausibility palated. People realised totally, woefully, once I totally opened their eyes. Christy, you remember when you were about five and one day Yvonne and, and her dad were going somewhere and you wanted to go as well and you kicked up blue murder to go. Now, can you remember that? You're about five years of age and you scream crying, I want to go too. You do? And then, that, and you know, you were crying, you thought that would win me over and I said, no, 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 if you go, that spoils the day for Yvonne. This is her day, you can't go. And then you cried all the more and I, I said to you, well, you're only, yeah, you're only wasting your time crying. That doesn't affect me in the slightest. In fact, I'm only laughing at you. Can you remember what you said to me? Go on. You. Are. Are. Bloody. Bitch. And that was in the midst of all your tears and, and everything. And, and I heard it. I heard those words perfectly and I understood perfectly what you said. And I went on washing up about what I was doing. And then I said to you, that's a nice way to talk to your mother. And in the midst of all your tears, you burst out laughing and you were thrilled beyond words. You know, I'm sure, what were you saying? Were you, were you saying what were you saying to yourself then? Imagine, yeah. Yeah, go on. My mummy, yeah. Under. Under. I know what the rest of it is. Understanding. Understanding me. Yeah, and I, I mean, I heard your words. I understood them perfectly that day. But you, then you forgot all about what Yvonne was doing and our dad was doing, or the fact that you couldn't go. Because that was, that was, the, that was the, as it were, the reward for you, that I was able to understand what you said to me. The Nolan family were living in Mullingar. They had one child, a girl. And Nora Meehan brought one baby onto the earth under normal circumstances. She now was labouring to give birth to her gelatinous, moaning, dankerous baby boy. Mosaine Pobery's x-rays on Nora Mean indicated baby not moving normally, making a kameku, moaning Mrs. Nora Mean casualty victim needing immediate bloody caesarean surgery. Mosaine Pobery salved all hope. Baby Mean might just survive. Fists clenched, hearing not functioning, breathing ultimately, loss appearing on heart pulse, Sapidity placing fresh form suds one move nearer in yelling baby Meehan. Even before they delivered the baby, I remember one doctor whispering in my ear, uh, he said, Mrs Nolan, if I were you, I wouldn't be too hopeful. And as, as far gone as I was, I, I, those words did register. And the next words that I did hear were when the nurse woke me up out of the anaesthetic. And her words were, Mrs Nolan, you have a baby boy. He's critically ill, though. It took two hours to revive him. The baby was a boy, Christy Nolan. He was suffering from cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy has been defined as 
uh, a disorder of movement and posture, the result of interference during its development, probably due to lack of oxygen sometimes during, before or after birth. Well, in Christie's case, it means he has very severe cerebral palsy uh, and is very helpless from a motor point of view, can't do anything for himself. I suppose I'd say the first 18 months of, of Christie's life were difficult in the extreme. As I said earlier, feeding was going to always be a problem. I always, and to this very day, feeding is, is an enormous problem. But in those early days when I didn't know much about spastics, I did find it an awful problem. Um, physically, you could see all his difficulties manifesting themselves. He wasn't able to lift his head. He wasn't able to grip anything. You know the, the normal grip a small baby has? Well, that was missing with him. Uh, there was no coordination at all in the muscles. But there was just one hope, just one glimmer of hope that, that you saw in those very early days, and that was his interest in everything that was going on. His two eyes, from the moment that, that, that a baby is aware of, of anything, he was watching. His eyes were following us around the kitchen, watching everything we were doing. He was responding to, to, to being cuddled. He was responding to fun and laughter. But you could see the interest, and he knew what he wanted to do. And he could almost, you could almost see the child fighting, fighting to see what could he do and, and, and realising. Very early on, I'd say almost after the first year, you could see the, the, the child assessing himself. You would see what he'd try to do and then you'd see him giving in. I can't do that. And then you sized up life and you said, OK, handicap isn't the end of the world. So come on, we're going to revolve our life around this child and we're damn well going to make it as normal a life as we humanly can and that, that is exactly what we have done in, in our whole lifetime with Christy. My mother is especially lovely as it was she who encouraged me down the years. A fiery person would be no use to me. Only patience could help a spastic. People will never know what she really did. She consoled me when I was sad. She played with me when I was glad. She taught me all I knew about people and their problems. A person finds other friends in life, but nobody will ever replace their mother. Bernadette Nolan's devotion to her son was total. He couldn't move his limbs or even his head except in jerky, involuntary spasms. The muscles of his throat, tongue and lips didn't work. He could just about grunt. But he heard perfectly, and his eyes, ever alert, followed everything that went on around him. His mother used these eyes to help him talk. He was to look up when he meant yes, and to look down for no. And from this basic signal system came Christie's ability to communicate. So as a result, I, c I can communicate with him perfectly, 100% successfully. There isn't anything that he wants to tell me that he can't tell me today. But that has been the way we have done it over the years. A shake of his head for yes, uh, uh, for no, and a nod of his head for yes. And therefore, he would give me the clue to what, what he wanted to talk about, what he wanted to discuss. I asked all the relevant questions. The circle started getting narrower and narrower as I was coming nearer to the point, And then we were on to exactly what it is that he wanted to tell us. Boldly delightful, speaking real slow, nudging me onwards, calling insistently, Christy. 
it's very hard to, to judge what other people really think. You know, people's initial reaction when you look at Christie or when they would look at Christie would be that he was mentally retarded. One doctor in my very early days described uh, me as, as Mrs Nolan and her mentally deficient son. Uh, a nurse described him as mentally retarded. Some other nurse described, uh, advised me to, to, to bring him to, to a school for, for mentally handicapped children. And uh, I don't think anybody should ever overlook what a mother thinks. And therefore, I, I, I smiled to myself as I heard all of those views knowing in my heart that I was right. And therefore, uh, you know, you have to have grit and you have to say, but I know better. You may not say it to them, and they may even shake you by what they say, but you still have to stick to your guns if you are as sure as I was that that kid had normal intelligence. So therefore, nobody but nobody could be let change your mind. I'd say in the very early days, Christy was hurt by Christy by people's reaction to him. Of course he was. Um, and the more intelligent he was, the more he was hurt. And you would often hear him sighing to himself as he'd hear people absolutely destroying his confidence. I'm sure he tasted despair of the most bitter kind. But we would always, always make him, you know, sit and listen and we would always say to him, they don't understand. It is ignorance that makes people say that. They do not understand your condition. So you'll have to learn to live with it. And that is what we have done. We have made him learn to live with what people think of him and his disability. Feeling beastly, nasty. Many disgust me so. Can he hear? Can he see? Can fools fly? Evidently, no. And Christy was, yeah, he was about two years of age when we met Dr Barry for the first time. We were told about this, this specialist in Dublin, Dr Kieran Barry. And I was looking forward to meeting him because... You know, I wanted to really hear what, what the prognosis was. And I met Dr Barry and told him about Christie's case history. And he was the first person I ever met who totally believed and accepted what I said about Christie. And I stressed that it was just the fact that Christie wasn't able to communicate. That, that, that was our big pro- biggest problem, that, that I could see that the intelligence was there, but that he couldn't communicate it. And that doctor looked and listened and he turned and he asked me what I deem the most important question I've ever been asked where Christy is concerned. Mrs Nolan, what are you going to do about his education? At that stage I didn't care what I was going to do. The The important thing was I have met another human being who accepts what I have told him, believes what I've told him and understands that it is feasible a child to be as brain damaged as Christy and still have normal intelligence. Christy was indeed intelligent. Tests showed that in spite of his enormous difficulties, he was years ahead of his age group. But his intelligence was of little use. He could take things in, play with them in his mind, but nothing could come out. His family decided to move to Dublin so he could attend the special school at the Central Remedial Clinic. He was sitting in the back of the class. Uh, he's non-communicating, so it was very difficult to know what exactly he uh, was absorbing. Uh, but it was clear that he, had, he was very bright. Uh, but communication was difficult. To help him communicate, they tried him on an electric typewriter. A stick strapped to his forehead, they supported his head over the keys. <sighs> mm-hmm. 
It was no use. His spasms were too severe. He couldn't control his head, even for the split second it took to type a letter. Christy seemed doomed to a world of silence. Then, medicine and Dr Barry took a hand. I gave a drug called Lyoresil or Baclofen to help to relax his muscles to make nursing easier and general handling easier. And at this stage he began to pour out information that was obviously inside already. He wore a band round his head with a pointer coming from it. And with his Lyresil drug taken, he was able to sit into the typewriter and for the first time in his life, voluntarily, nod his head and hit the letters that he wanted. And when he did hit those letters that he wanted, he made me sit up as I never sat up before in my lifetime. I, I learned that I had a completely different child. The kid that I knew up to that was a lovely, cuddlesome child full of devilment, wicked, wonderful sense of humour. But now, here I discovered that, yes, I had that type of a child, but alongside that, I had a hugely gifted kid, wonderfully talented, a wonderful depth of feeling and sensitivity, imagination, imagery, poetic licence... Uh, hugely gifted and all of that would have been lost but for that electric typewriter that Lyresel and that clinic and Christie's very first words were you'll be surprised to hear from me and that was only the start taste of pity as people stare love, lots of love from mother pills you find as lasting prayer an irate person may possibly have faith instead of despair. The battle continued. Christy, once he'd a way to communicate, just couldn't stop. The thoughts, the feelings, the poems came tumbling out. Words had been Christy's playthings all those years. He'd been writing poetry in his head since he was three, and now he was sharing it with others. He wrote about his life from birth to the present day, and gave those around him an insight into what it was like for a handicapped person, trapped inside a useless, mute body. Pity the man in failure... Love the man who's mad. Make music with the man that's happy. Marvel at a lonesome child's hand. Outstretched in those innocent fingers is a lively benediction's grace. Make careful study. Make mercy chime. Love the tear. Dry the face. Watch the smile. In the early days, it would have ta- it would take him oh one thing up to eight hours to write a, an eight line poem. And some days, you know, you would you would get the typewriter for him and put in paper and line the whole thing up, and he would type one letter, and he'd say, "Put it away. I, I'm not able. The spasms would be would be so terrible that that he just couldn't do it." But but for technology, but for the electric typewriter, and but for the occupational therapists and their training in the Central Media Clinic, that would have been a gift that we would never have discovered he owned, and therefore. The despair to which he would have sunk, the, the, the depths of despair to which he would have sunk, would have destroyed him. I have no doubt about it, but that either he would have got A, a nervous breakdown, or B, he would have become so embittered that he would have cocooned himself with a, a cloud of, of aggression and hatred and, and despair that would have mean, meant that we would, would have found it, I'm sure, have found it very difficult to accommodate him and to have, have lived with him.
Christie's major breakthrough was being able through his typewriter to communicate, but he wanted more. He wanted to meet people, ordinary people, he wanted to join in and to be accepted. He applied to Mount Temple, the local comprehensive school, and to his delight was accepted as a pupil. His headmaster, John Medlicott, weighed up the difficulties before taking him in. When I was asked if Chris could come to the school, I had doubts about that. And the way we resolved the doubts was that I discussed it with some colleagues in the staff, and uh, then we discussed it with the whole staff, and we decided that we would see if we could manage him, take him. And we discussed it also with people in the remedial clinic, and they were very helpful. So that before Chris came to the school, or came near the school, we had decided that we were going to to take him. Uh, I felt it would be very wrong to have had him come for an interview and then turned around and said no. So he came, and we decided then that we offered him the place. And the moment I offered him the place and I said to him, Chris, when are you going to start? Uh, that's the moment that I can never forget because he he responded so instantaneously, so spontaneously and with such delight that I knew that we'd made the right decision at that point. Well, of course, there are the difficulties of just the sheer business of moving him from classroom to classroom. He isn't capable of moving his own chair and other pupils do that for him. School was and still is a struggle for Christie. At first he was terrified, and even when that were off, he had all the difficulties of his handicap to cope with, and this time in public. Young people aren't so easy to win over. Well, it's very hard. Like, uh, it still is very hard to cope with Chris, because, you know, the hands flying everywhere and the noises he makes in class. But um, it's, we've all, we all act perfectly normal, you know. His lip gets caught in the side of his mouth, his jaw just locks, and you have to knock his jaw out again. Um, the whole class has to stop dead, you know, because it's a big interruption. Even though, like, he has to put up with a good bit, because sometimes, like, in the corridor, he'd be walking along and somebody would say, you know, you know, look at him, why do they let him into the school and all? But he, you never see him really getting depressed mm-hmm. by it, or he's always in a great humour, you know. Most of our class and our part of third year are very fond of him, but a lot of people still don't know him enough, you know, to know what they really think of him. You know, most people are, when he walks on the corridor and his hand sticks out, they're a bit afraid, they, you know, if, in case he touches them, sort of. Everybody in the class likes Chris, I think. Well, don't we? <laughs> not everybody. There's some people who are still afraid of him. I think, like, there's girls in the class, and when it's their day to go after them, they're still a bit afraid. You know, they still think he's not normal, like, uh, mentally normal, when he really is. It's just physically the class wanted, they were getting a bit fed up of taking care of Chris and um, they wanted uh, you know, a lot more people to take care of him but I I didn't agree with this because I mean, it was no trouble to me I mean, I think it reflects on the class a bit, which is why I felt bad about it because, I mean if you just think about it I mean, we should be proud to be able to look after him on our own. And now we have to spread out the load. Well, at first, you know, you see, I sort of pitied him, you know. I used to think that he was completely helpless and he was no, he was no good, really. And I sort of, you know, really wanted to help him. 
But like, I didn't know he could help me if I wanted help, you know. But um, yeah, I, I think he's a good friend, you know. It can be. Like sort of, I'm gonna have a talk to him. And I think because he doesn't answer back, you know, if he feel okay because it's not a thing that he laughs at you, you know. He's got sense. He doesn't laugh at you if you have a problem. Go in and talk to him about it. How do you talk to him? Yeah, uh, well, just the same as you talk to anyone else. Except maybe you don't get answered back. But he tells you with his eyes. He moves his eyes, and you can tell by the general expression on his face how he feels. Clever children sighted. Camera loaded for show. Class scoffed, neurotic cloned, life's outcasts, left neglected, alone. Christy, exhausted from a day at school, would come home and sit at his typewriter. His mother's hands cupped under his chin, he'd type his poems for as long as he was physically able to. Time looks back on life lived in noiseless isolations, lonely lines of life, all babbling baby damnations. Moving narrow limbs in constant dire limitations, frightening simple friends with molesting alienations. Nothing ameliorated matters, all parents lived their loss, watching holiness in invocation as their child carried his cross. Earlier maddening knolls rang naught in inspiration, maledictions leaned menacingly on every annihilation. Mingling music with perseverance, mingling molesting in vagling quells, in looming lifelong lessons, quietness came in typing spells. The British Spastic Society held a poetry competition. Christie won a special prize. His work, they said, was so outstanding it couldn't be compared with any other entry. The Sunday Times followed it up and sent some of his work to John Carey, Professor of English at Oxford. I think there were two things that impressed me about, about his writing when I first saw it. One of these was the exuberance, the the exhilaration. Um, he seemed to plunge into language like, oh, like an avalanche, as if it were some kind of escape route um, from something terrible, from indeed from death, from silence, from from loneliness, as indeed it is, just that. Connected with that, though it's very rare to find it connected with that in a young writer, was the control, the extraordinary sense of control. They're very compact poems, very tense and taut. Christie, in spite of the huge effort it involved for himself and for his mother, was determined to keep writing. A computer expert in Edinburgh heard of the difficulty he had in using a typewriter. He came to Dublin to see if he could help. In the Nolan's front room, he installed a computer, a keyboard and a screen which displays the words as they're typed, and he's still experimenting with controls, so that one day the boy may be able to type without help. For Christie, this would be a big advance. My typewriter now is obsolete. It's told of my tongue-tied genetic dreams. Munificent mendicant hags spouted Cestus loincloth. Cannot the awful poverty ever be minimised momentarily by a computerised friend? It came onto the stage where he started wondering, should his writings bring hope to other people? Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if he could have it published? And he wrote to Lord Weidenfeld of Weidenfeld and Nicholson, the publishers in London, and he said, Dear Lord Weidenfeld, my greatest ambition is to have my writings published. These writings are my nomadic memories minted musings. And then he went on to describe what it's like 
to be isolated from the world of secure, fast-talking men. And by the time he had finished that letter, I don't think there was a publisher on earth that would have refused to publish them. Christy Nolan's Collected Works is published this month by Weidenfeld. The book, Damburst of Dreams, contains poems, plays and stories written by Christy since he was 11 years old. He is now 15. With the book will come publicity, and Bernadette Nolan, in her sensitive way, is more concerned about the effect this will have on her daughter Yvonne than on Christy, who has always been the focus of attention. And then I wondered, what was it doing to the family? I, you know, I had to sit down and I would worry. Yvonne was away in boarding school and, you know, her dad and myself, well, here we were with Christy and our only daughter was away in boarding school and even though we explained to her that why we sent her away to boarding school, you know, to give her a life of her own and to give her a chance to live her life without sharing our responsibilities and without being lumbered but with, with a handicapped brother, that we want to let her live her life and come home and enjoy Christy. And we also wanted to let Christy appreciate what it was to have his sister coming home from boarding school for weekends. It meant the two of them got on wonderfully well together and, and their friendship ripened by that. But uh, I, I noticed Yvonne pondering a lot on, on, on all the attention that Christy was getting. And I had to explain to her how important it was that she should be let live her life and he live his. And I had to make sure that she didn't go around with a chip on her shoulder. You need to be handicapped in this house to get, get attention. And she had to be made realise that it was just purely because he was so physically handicapped that he got that attention and that if she were the one that were in the wheelchair, she would be the one that would have to get that sort of attention as well. I used to feel very jealous when Christy got so much attention. But I think that was a normal reaction. And it wasn't just because Christy was disabled. That normally in a family, if one kid ever gets more attention than the others, the rest will feel jealous anyway. So I don't think it was jealousy because he was disabled. I was just jealous because he got more attention. And likewise, he might be jealous when I'd be getting more attention as well. I don't know where his talent came from. I, th I think it must be a compensation for his handicap. That everything can't be so bad, that she couldn't be so severely handicapped and so misunderstood by strangers, even though we as a family realised it was normal, that you had to have some compensation. And I think that's Christie's gift, is his compensation. Amiable companions, bonny girls talk, breeds mink-coated loveliness in my drab-dreamed world. Christy Nolan's writing is quite unique. He sounds sometimes like Hopkins, and there is too a hint of Joyce. But Christy isn't a reader. He can't turn a page, and the strain of looking at the printed word becomes too tiring. Where then does his language come from? There are two things. He uses very rare words and he invents words. Why does he invent words? Well, there I think something that his mother, um, Bernadette Nolan, uh, says is very um, telling. She says it's, a, it's as though he's been playing with words all his childhood as other able-bodied children play with toys. I mean, that's what one forgets, that he was sitting there for years with nothing but words inside his head to play with. So no wonder he invents words. They were, they were his toys. For Christie, the struggle to type is the struggle to live. He slogs at it day after day after day. When he hasn't got a word right, he'll return to the poem for weeks until at last he's found the word he wants. <coughs> Mm. 
Nothing mummifyingly nominates mysteries. Schooling lets merits spring step straight towards seeming brilliant careers mastering centuries non-ligamented, muchly-longed lease, changing much-sental cubbyhole secrets, cementing sexual, venial-like intimidations, nesting central cesspool hopes neglect, genetically gesticulating Dozier's looks, clenching cellulose, numbing, beautifying. As a young poet, he is then extraordinarily interesting, important. Every poet who is as powerful and who relates us to an experience as rare uh, and as moving as he does is important. Christie has the potential to be a writer. Whether or not he will ever be a great writer remains to be seen. Um, I don't know how you become a great writer, but I know that he has the... He is so persistent and he is so determined that if anybody has the strength to be a writer and to be a great writer, Chris has. His book, Dambarst of Dreams, though full of humour, has an underlying sadness. Christie has suffered so much, not just physically or even in terms of his handicap, but from people and their reaction to him, that his view of human nature is becoming grim. But he's a fighter and he'll keep on going, keep taking the knocks, keep coming back for more. We read his book, he's so intelligent and everything, we sort of don't know him as that sort of a person, really a genius, you know. We just know him as some of really um, a person with a sense of humour, it's fun, you know, like he's always looking for fun, even in class, a serious class, you know. I read, I read the book and it's just totally amazing. I even said it to myself, absolutely. I've never known anything like it before. Credentials clustered in coiling, clinging. People's poor license decreeing candidly. Calm, all isolated. Humble, humid, luminous central. Certain August, lentil months acquittal. I think he is one of the most acute observers of the human scene that I have met. Certainly, a, a very, he's a very perceptive person for his age. And... I think one of the reasons why he has been a success in the school is that he has wanted to be part of the human situation that we're all part of. And I think that he takes a great deal more in than most of the rest of us. So that while in some ways he may not be able to talk and in other ways he is not able to participate, I know that I've had conversations with him though he has never spoken back to me. But the story of Christy Nolan is inseparable from that of his mother. Living somebody else's very life for them, because that is what you're doing with Christy each day. You are living his life for him, his physical life for him. And by helping him at his typewriter, by supporting that head, you are also giving him a chance to express himself, which he would never have had otherwise. It's an honour, it's a privilege. It's a responsibility, though, and underline the word responsibility. But as a family, we have learned to live with it. We are happy. We often question Christy about his, his, are you happy? Are you totally happy? And he always says, you know, I wouldn't miss life, not for the world. His mother is there to soothe and heal, but she cannot and doesn't try to fight his battles for him. Tell me this. 
Now, now that you know that the, the news of your pending publication of your book and on what people think of it, Annie, when they come to you and they tell you how wonderful it is for a book to, to for you to have a book published at such an early age in your life, and you sit and you listen to that, and they go on to question you about how long it took you to write it and how wonderful it is to have it published, and then they come with that question. Does he understand what's in it? Or does he know it's published? What does that do to you? It, what? It drives you crazy. But does it really drive you crazy? Or do you understand? Now, this what I'm giving you a choice of questions, a choice of answers there. Does it drive you crazy? Or do you understand? And do you make allowances? You understand and you make allowances. But secretly... Does it, does it bother you? Mm. It does. And how long do you think it will take to be able to convince people mm. you don't judge the person, the brain damaged person, by the image mm. of their face? You don't think you'll ever win? Mm. No. He doesn't think he'll ever win. Are you prepared to go on fighting, though? Yeah. But that's it, Christy. Not alone just for yours, for your own sake, or for your, you know, for your, your, your art's sake, but for other children that maybe aren't even yet born. You must, you must, you must go on fighting to change people's impressions of the image of a brain damaged man. Polarised. I was paralysed. Plausibility palleted. People realised totally, woefully, once I totally opened their eyes. <laughs>